0: me this reading uh, about the fever of simon's mother-in-law it takes on all new meaning um, during the pandemic i've never thought so much about fevers as i have in the last 12 months when it first started uh, as priests at this other parish they were you know doing the reopening protocols they had one of those kind of gun trigger thermometers and uh, i wanted one so he gave me he had an extra i gave it, he gave it to me I started taking my temperature regularly, but it was in Celsius, so I would, I would look at it and be like, "36 is that good?" And then I'd Google it, and it's like 97.8 or something like that. So, um, but even now, I still kind of sometimes you you feel a little hot behind the ears or something, and it, maybe it's just hot in your house. Just you're like, "Do I have a fever?" And like, I'm just very aware of of that more than I have been in the past, and I think just illness and sickness in general. Um, And what the virus has done to us as a culture and as a society, it's just like the whole world is going through this big problem all at the same time. And there's this anxiety and vulnerability that we feel in a radical new way. And I think that especially us who maybe before this all started felt like I'm doing okay. We're doing fine. (laughs) That illusion is kind of gone. Like we're not fine. We're in need of salvation. Just as, like, in the ancient world, if somebody had a fever, that could kill you. You had no idea what it was. You didn't understand the immune response, and sometimes it is the immune response that kills you, uh, not necessarily the pathogen. But, like, they knew whether that's an unclean spirit, a demon, or a virus, or a bacteria, it doesn't really matter. We could die at any moment. We are vulnerable, we're hanging by a thread. And we need someone to come and cure us, someone to save us. And so it makes sense that people crowded around Jesus, when they saw fe- healing flowing out of him, he just helps a woman up and the fever immediately leaves, or he commands an unclean spirit to leave, and a, a, a seriously sick person is all of a sudden cured, you'd say, okay, yeah, we want what he's giving away. But we maybe had fallen into some complacency. I talk to many people who say, like, well, that's great that you found something you're really passionate about, that you, you know, you need God. I don't really need him. But now more than ever, I feel like this is a moment where we as a world, as a nation, as a church can kind of come to the realization that we need God. Even if we don't need God, at least we need his stuff. We need what he's giving away, his grace, his healing. And I think as a church, we can, we can also have a little bit of a reality check. Um, I heard a a talk on something referred to as spiritual vampirism. In the church sometimes, in our institutions, our parishes, our ministries, we can kind of be vampires, where it's not so much that we we want something for people, we want something from them. We want you to come to our event. We want your time. We want your attention. We want your money, things like that. Um, And it's often with the best of intentions. This is an important ministry. This is an important mission. And we need people to keep it alive, so we we do everything we can to kind of suck people in as, you know, attract them and and invite them, not so much so that they can benefit from being a part of it, but so that our mission can survive. And God knows there's plenty of of institutions, corporations, and faceless entities trying to suck away your time, your attention, and your money 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and We don't want to be one more of those faceless entities. The church is something totally different. Because the church is the extension of Jesus, his mission, his body. It's the presence of Christ on earth, that healing locus. And so we want something for people, not from them. And everything that we do as a church has to constantly be returned to that. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? Not because we want something from people. It's because we want something for them. Just last week, I remember after Mass, I remember it was all snowy and, and sort of fun, if not problematic. <laughs> all that snow. Trying to get it cleared out of the way so people could come to church. We thought maybe there won't be a lot of people here. There was a decent amount of people at Mass last Sunday. And after it was all over, we, before Mass, we were shoveling, me and the missionaries, and shoveling and salting. But afterwards, it was just like perfect packing snow, and there was just a bunch of people that had a snowball fight out uh, just south of the, the coffee shop in the, by the pergola there. And there's something that warmed my heart. Even though I didn't go out there, <laughs> I could hear it happening, and I could hear the joy. And I saw Lucas took some photos uh, that I saw after that are just, like, beautiful. I want to put them up in, like, a frame in the coffee shop, because to me it's so iconic of what the church has to offer, which is this one little instance is just a sacrament of the, the idea that the joy is radiating out of this place, out of the Eucharist. We gather on the Lord's day to delight in him, to offer ourselves on the altar and receive ourselves back transformed and healed, and we go out into the world and we radiate joy. You know, and it's in the simplest way. And when people see that, when we are truly ourselves, authentically Christian, people see that, it's it, it might be annoying to some or frightening to others, but it it's certainly fascinating. Why in the midst of all that's going on, Are you happy? What do you have? This is what St. Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is not something I boast about. It's an obligation I have to share this with people. Why? Because he's experienced this, this this salvation, this healing that Christ has come to to bring. Once I've got it, it doesn't belong to me. It was given to me, and I have to give it away. I read years ago, this uh, story about the Titanic, I don't know if you know that um, the fact that they didn't have enough lifeboats, Everybody, most people know that they, they thought it was the unsinkable ship and so they were sort of uh, had the hubris of not putting enough lifeboats for all the passengers that were on the ship but even the lifeboats they had, many of the spaces were left unused like these lifeboats could carry between 45 and 60 people and the first one was launched with only 28 people in it people didn't realize the urgency at the time of having hit that iceberg, that this whole ship is going down, everybody's going to end up in the icy Atlantic. So people were just kind of like, elbowing for extra room, like, ugh, I don't like these tight lifeboats, I like that big ship. But at least, like, give me some space between, like, when you're in the plane, you're like, please don't take the middle seat, somebody, don't sit in the middle seat. You're like, I want the extra But they didn't realize the urgency of the thing. And at the end of it, 1,500 people died in the Titanic. There were 1,178 spaces on lifeboats, but 472 of those spaces were empty. 472 people could have been saved that weren't. And there was one boat that went back when they heard the people screaming in the water that were freezing to death. They went back and they picked up nine out of the water and six of those people died from hypothermia. So they saved three. But I think as the church, sometimes we we have to realize that these empty seats, we have to have empty seats now because of COVID, but... We, we, when this is all over, should be packed in here. Every seat is like a seat on a lifeboat. We have something that we're giving away that the world needs. And that if, there's not, if somebody's not here, that's not good for them. It's not just that, oh, our parish might close or our Newman Center needs to be more vibrant or whatever. We're not, it's not to serve Newman. It's to serve the world. The Catholic Church is the only institution on earth that doesn't exist for its members. It exists for the people who aren't members who aren't in it yet. And we, woe to us if we don't preach the gospel for that reason. I was really struck in one of the talks at Seek last night, Hillary's talk. She mentioned that before COVID, they do this, the CDC, I read this morning on the CDC website, the the study, they do uh, every year the same survey questions. And one of which is, have you contemplated suicide in the last 30 days? And before COVID, people 18 to 24, 10% said yes. One in 10 18 to 24-year-olds said that they had in the last 30 days contemplated, seriously contemplated suicide. During COVID, in August, they did the study. It was 25%. One in four 18 to 24-year-olds had thought about killing themselves. That's serious. People might not agree with everything that we believe. and It might be kind of scary to like, feel like we're imposing our beliefs on other people by sharing our faith. It's kind of like we're used to this live and let live. But we have to start taking responsibility for each other. And in this time when we're so isolated, and we can't really connect as much as we we could before, it's even more important that we try, that we're creative. And we may fail, and that's okay. But woe to us if we do not preach the gospel. I was thinking, you know, when you read about history... Usually you don't read, like, about every decade or every year. You, you read about, like, super big events, like World War I, you know, or the Civil War. Like, what was it like to live in the 1860s when the country was just coming apart and everybody thought, is that it for the U.S.? Or what about World War I, where the entire world goes insane? It's the first modern war and millions and millions of people are, are killed and gassed and these horrible things. Or the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s, like, these big... Momentous occasions in human history and, and you think about that era and those people that lived in it they, did they know that it was such a big era that we'd be reading about it in the history books 100 200 300 years later well i have a feeling that this time you guys are living in one of those big moments that people will read about where the human challenges tested us to our the end of our rope and how did we respond What did people do? Who helped? And in those times, you know, the French Revolution, the the World Wars, big times in history, um, God raises up saints, you know, the Black Plague that killed so many people throughout the Middle Ages. There were always saints there doing stuff, helping, and we hold them up and we make statues of them and put them in stained glass windows because of what they did in those times. Because they received something from Christ, and they didn't hold on to it themselves. They started to be motivated to become Christ, to give away what they'd been given. God raises up saints in trying times. Let's be those saints. Woe to us if we do not preach the gospel. Woe to us if we're sitting in a lifeboat with an empty seat next to us. Let us go out and bring in the lost sheep of Israel. Bring in the people who are starving, who are dying, who are freezing to death so that they can be saved.